With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Eddie Gibbs and I'm wondering uh, how you're finding the international break. Not good, is it? Very, very hard. But as Liverpool fans, we have the joy of being top of the league. We've won eight from eight with the European champions, with the European Super Cup champions. And uh, things are looking very rosy in our garden right now, which can't be said uh, down at Manchester United, perhaps Manchester City as well for a time. They've not been able to say that for a while. I'm Eddie Gibbs and this is off the wall the podcast on Anfield Index where we give you a little flavor of everything that's going on over at Anfield Index Pro. Now today I'm going to give you a full show which uh, we like to do from time to time and it's a show that appears weekly on uh, on Anfield Index Pro. It features the great Dane, Liverpool legend Jan Molby, uh, obviously the Danish uh, midfield maestro that graced our, our presence in the 80s and early 90s and uh, has gone on to do some TV punditry work uh, over in Denmark, but we're very fortunate that he joins Trev Downey uh, every week and has done so now. In his, he's into his third season of Molby on the Spot, uh, our show where Jan gives his expert analysis over all the current uh, goings on at Liverpool Football Club and the uh, the wider Premier League, some international football stuff as well. And uh, Jan joined Trev this week to, to talk about Jurgen Klopp's four years in charge of Liverpool. They talk about Sadio Mane at great length. They discuss that penalty controversy in the game against Leicester and they also look at how the press has evolved within the, within the, within the in football since uh, the time Jan was a player at the club uh, until modern day social media your Twitters Facebooks YouTubes and such uh, Jan is in great form on this show and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it it's one of my favorite shows on the channel I, as soon as it comes out uh, whenever Trev and Jan get together I, I immediately stop whatever podcast I'm listening to it almost doesn't matter what it is and I start listening to this and uh, make sure I listen to it in its entirety before I move on to another show. I, I kind of stop whatever I'm doing, whether it be TV, eating food, having a drink. I, I really do enjoy this show and I, I hope you'll enjoy it too. So, uh, and Yana also always thrives on the, on the Mancunian misery. So uh, you do get a little, uh, a little flavour of that in this show as well, on all that's going on at Old Trafford just now ahead of our, our visit there next week. So uh, if you want to take, a full test drive of Anfield Index Pro, uh, head to anfieldindex.com forward slash join. You can listen to every single show on AI Pro completely free of charge for seven days without paying a penny. And if you uh, if you wish to cancel within that seven days, then of course, you're more than welcome to do so. Obviously, we hope you won't. And uh, we don't see any reason why you would. There's also a, a load of other shows that we've recorded during the international break. There's Tactics Weekly assessing the Leicester game, Under Pressure assessing the Leicester game. You have uh, The King and AI, the podcast I do myself uh very fortunate to uh to host that show and i did it uh earlier today with uh with sir kenny dalglish and uh james pierce of the athletic as well so uh you can have exclusive first listen to that show as well so that's uh, available for you on ai pro just now there's uh also all our post-match stuff from leicester and next week we'll be uh we'll be stepping it up with the the manchester united game on the horizon and previewing that game so without further ado i'm going to pass you over to uh to trevor downey in the company of Jan Mulby. 
Hello and welcome to Malby on the Spot. I'm Trev Downey podcasting to you with a post-op knee from beautiful rural Ireland. And on the other end of the Skype line is a perfect picture of masculinity and health, Mr. Jan Malby, the Liverpool and Denmark legend whose wisdom you've all tuned in to hear. So let's welcome him back once more to your ears. Good afternoon for one for a change, Jan. How are you? Yeah, I was just going to say, Trevor, good afternoon indeed. Uh, very unusual Uh but it's international break. Uh, very clever of you to have your operation in the international breaks, so you don't miss any uh, vital minutes for the Reds. That's exactly right. You know, you've always got to be ready if if Jurgen needs you. That's my that's my motto. Uh, I mean, there's lots that we can talk about this week, and I look forward to getting a few thoughts from you. Um, uh, are you involved? Just before we go further, are, we, are you involved in any of the international football in a, a punditry capacity? No, no, I'm not, Trevor. We uh, we don't have the rights, although we bought the rights for the championships in the summer, which is obviously a very unusual uh, championship with, with there being so many host countries, stroke cities. Uh, so that's the first dabble into international football with the, with the channel I'm working for currently. So I'm uh, having a time off. I'm a little bit worried about Saturday uh, in Copenhagen. The big one, Denmark, Switzerland. I'm sure you'll be equally as keen as I am. Yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on it. Seeing as we, we seem to be internationally joined at the hip um, for the rest of our our, our uh, careers together, it's just a remarkable thing what's happening with these groups. But yeah, yeah, look, I, I, I will have a an interest in that for sure. And I, maybe if we have time at the end, we might get, get some international football chat uh, and some relevant stuff um, for, for Reds as well. Um, but before we do, I mean, there's so much to talk about. Um, I do want to spend a little bit of time um, in tribute to our manager because it's not that long ago. There were these little quotes sneaking out and we were sort of uh, facing the horrible potential of, of maybe this era, this Klopp era ending uh, at some point in the future or near future. And nobody wants to think about that. And actually, Jan, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a, a quote from uh, some um, Dortmund higher up who was talking about um, yeah, Jürgen's time there and wistfully thinking back and sort of lamenting about how, you know, he remembered how he used to just be walking around and once he heard Jürgen laughing, everything was okay. And it just reminds you of what a gargantuan presence this fella is. I mean, you sat with him. It's uh, no doubt he, he has the capacity to be a humble man. But there's some people, isn't there? And I would imagine you're yourself one. There's something about people. There's a presence. They kind of hold attention. They fill a room. Uh, um, was that your experience of, of, of Jürgen uh, when, you got, when you got a chance to have a couple of one-to-ones with him on various occasions? Yeah, uh, I've obviously been fortunate enough to come across uh, most managers in some capacity. Uh, I would probably say that the the only one is 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 more is like Mourinho. You know, everybody else I've had sometimes, or even Guardiola ran into Arsene Wenger in a in a, an Indian restaurant in in Switzerland years ago and had a really nice chat to him. So I've come across most of them, uh, but and and they're all highly interesting people but they're highly interesting because we've obviously got something in common we can talk about in length uh, and I have a, I have friends who have no interest in, in, in football and, and, and they always ask and I said listen I said you would enjoy talking to him you wouldn't have to talk football you can just talk strategy you know life strategy or life experiences and I, I think most people would find Jurgen Klopp a fascinating uh, man you know he has views on everything uh, and I if if only I could have could have stayed another couple of days just sitting chatting basically shit to, to club about anything I would have really enjoyed it uh, but but I have been in that situation a couple of times and I've really really enjoyed it you know some sometimes you come across people and you really look forward to it and you kind of sense they either got nothing to tell you or they don't want to tell you anything but I think club is club without giving anything away still finds a way of being highly entertaining and interesting. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't do cagey very well. I, I, that's why I like about him. He's a bit too honest to be completely cagey. He knows how to do it with the press when it comes to information about the team. But I think if a person asks him a question, generally speaking, he tries to engage with it, and and that's when we, we see these little um, glimpses of what you call, you know, the interesting side of his character that would decide that would engage non-football people. I mean, he is. Uh, there's there's nobody, for example, on the staff of people that I work with 
And again, you know, I'm a teacher, so it would skew towards the female. I suppose it's probably 60, 40. Um, and there's almost nobody who wouldn't know who Jurgen Klopp is or who wouldn't have had, uh, cast a, an interested eye in his direction, whether because they thought he was an attractive dude or whether it was because they thought he was a very interesting dude. Um, and this is non-sport people as well. And, you know, I wonder sometimes, you know, um, <laughs> Like, like that, that, that poor, sad, uh, Dortmund official, um, you do sort of get a sort of a, a little bit of anxiety thinking about what things might be like without him because we're so, we're so much in the crest of a wave, Jan. And like, you know, I brought up a, an article from, from, uh, the official website and it's not, not normally the type of thing that, you know, a pair of what, uh, your scouse, uh, chums would call our lasses would be interested in, uh-huh. uh, but it's numbers, man. And the numbers are so bloody striking, you know. I just will go down through some of these with you as a kind of a measure of where we are with this guy. It's four years, and that's what people have to remember. And we'll talk later on about the likes of uh, uh, brain donor Danny Mills and a few people who are trying to denigrate Klopp's achievement. But just to go down through some of these quite fast, 517 uh, consecutive minutes in all competitions without scoring a goal that was achieved in February to March of 2019. And that is in and of itself, you know, that coincides with one of our best, uh, defenses that we, we can recall. 458 goals scored in all competitions under Europe. And that's an average. And this is the point that really matters of 2.07 goals per game, which is the highest ratio of any Reds manager in 123 years. Again, that's a real thing that we can hang on to because we can see those goals going in and we know what that means and we know what that equates to. 320 points won by uh, Klopp as a manager in the Premier League from the 152 uh, games that he's played. That's 2.11 per game. And if you had said as Jurgen was coming in that he would average 2.11 a game, we know that back in the day, I remember... um the, the lads, Carragher and Gerard telling me in, in, in little articles, uh, that they would be writing for websites, not just me specifically, but that that's what Gerard Houllier said would equate to Champions League football. So that means success. That number means success. Um, 221 games played, uh, in all competitions so far. And of those, Roberto Firmino has played 197 appearances. Um, again, you know, the glue, the absolute glue of the team. Um, another 197 is the number of games taken to manage Liverpool to 400 goals. That's faster than any other Reds boss in history. Uh, 146, the number of games it took uh, Jurgen to record 300 league points. Again, the fewest games required by any Reds boss to reach this mark. You see where I'm going with this, man, don't you? Every yeah. number, every number we pick up here is just, it's, it's era defining. It's, it's almost record breaking, you know? Yeah. Uh, it is. And, you know, I think in, in some instances, you know, every football fan in, in the world doesn't follow Liverpool Football Club as closely as, as, as we do. And when we talk about Jurgen Klopp, and sometimes you do get people saying, is he really doing that well? I mean, he's only won one trophy. And that's not people being, that's just because they haven't kept up. But for these people, you have these stats you can throw at them and go, well, what about this? These are the stats. And I also think in a time, and this is obviously why the Dortmund official uh, came out and, and, and said what he said and, it's a bit like that girlfriend you had when you were a kid and, and, and you miss her. It's the same with Klopp, isn't it? If it's, it's Klopp's been through your club, uh, you miss, you miss him, uh, because you know he's capable. But I also think in a time when there is so few, see, football manager, it's, it's like almost what, what you need to be good at to be a football manager. And, and you have to be, be able to do so many various things, uh, to be any, any good. And Klopp is just perfect at everything. And, if you look at Manchester United, I'm convinced that Manchester United is ready as a sack, uh, but but they don't know who to appoint. I even think our dearest and nearest Everton are probably ready to to pull the uh, trigger on, on on their manager, but they're thinking, well, who can we get? Uh, so so I, I just think that amongst top top managers, uh, he just stands out. He stands out as as somebody who's not only capable of, of producing results. Uh, which of course is the ultimate, isn't it? But, but he's capable of doing so many other things and unifying a club. We, we can't deny that we, we've been a, for many years, ever since we, we let American owners into the doors at Anfield, uh, on many fronts, we, we've been a divided football club, uh, you know, because there's been people 
with and people against the owners and whatever. And I, I think that, I still think there's, there's some unrest amongst some Liverpool fans, but I think generally Klopp has managed. And I, I always thought that you can always find some results in some ways, but to unify everybody in the way that he's done, I think is absolutely remarkable. And I don't think we should underplay the value of that. Also, in, in, in financial terms, in, in, in that what's happening with Liverpool Football Club at the moment, there probably isn't anyone else in football making or improving or increasing the value of a sporting club to the extent that the club is alongside the likes of Michael Edwards. It, it, it is remarkable. But I'm obviously delighted that we have all these stats to just prove to the people who are, who are still unsure uh, about the impact the club's had at the... Out of Anfield, it's, it's, it's been absolutely remarkable. Can you compare it to Bill Shankly from 1959? I don't know. But we don't have to compare it to, to, to anything. It is what it is, isn't it? And it's been an incredible, incredible four years. I spoke to my old mucker, Carl, on the um, Anfield Index podcast that I do every week. And Carl's, uh, you know, a man of a similar age to myself and uh, probably slightly grumpier to give him his due. Uh, he's a guy who gets to go to the games. He's a local lad. And um, he he started bristling a little bit when I started mentioning uh, Shankly. Uh, and I was, I was doing it very cautiously in the way that you did. But I do think, um, Jan, that it will be a fair comment um, if the league title is won. And I think even one will, will be fair comment because it's a cultural shift. Uh, it's the most dramatic cultural shift we've seen at the club, uh, in decades. Uh, possibly ever, really. Even, even, I'm, even going back to, 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 to the time that you walked in the doors of the club. I'm talking about like a cultural shift, the way things have changed. Gerard Houllier introduced a minor one. Um, maybe it was a major one. I don't know. Um, but it was certainly a modernization of the club that needed to happen. Um, and he doesn't get enough credit for that, really, to be fair to the guy. But the way Klopp has changed things, it's not just this uh, root and branch um, systemic change. It's also been coinciding with wonderful results and achievements on the pitch. And, you know, you mentioned it and you're dead right. I saw a lovely little article there today uh, from, I think it was Corriere della Sport, um, talking about how Liverpool were out hunting for a marketing director. Uh, they had a guy called Christoph Winterling, um, in their sites uh he's the commercial di- marketing director now of uh, bologna and i think he, they had tapped him up and looked at him you know they do they were head hunting my point is every area of the club uh since club has arrived has been uh efficiently run which is the point you were making yourself yeah absolutely and that's that's probably the one thing that some fans let's not forget we we, we do have people who are only just interested in when the team appears on, on, on the field, uh, two or three times a week. Uh, but then of course you have fans who really delve into how things are working behind the scenes. Uh, and it, it is just remarkable. It doesn't matter what department, uh, you speak to at Anfield and incredibly it is a club. I guess most big companies are like that, but it is a club of various departments. Uh, and those departments for many a years, were so divided, you couldn't, you, you couldn't, you couldn't make it up. You actually, you wouldn't believe it, sir. You wouldn't believe how bad it was. But when you speak to these uh, same people now, they go, well, it's just everything has just totally changed. Uh, and when you talk about Jared Hooley, and I tend to agree, uh, Jared Hooley did a, did a, did a super job. Uh, but I just think that if you compare it to Bill Shankly in 1959, Bill sort of, it was almost like a blank canvas for Bill. Yeah. Uh, whereas it wasn't for Klopp because there was so much history and there was so much baggage and there was so much unrest. I don't know if it's unrest, is there, but, 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 but there had been unrest for so long, didn't it? Because it only took two defeats for everybody to be up in arms again. And, you know, this is shit and we need to move. And we, we you know, and Klopp had to fight against all of that. But, and I know because you've heard him, we've all heard him often of mention, you know, about the history and, and he's going history great. He said, well, we have to create our own and we have to worry about the future. And so he had so many preconceived ideas in other people's heads that he had to fight against. And he's, he has done a remarkable job. But, but, but then again, if, if you ever listen, really listen to him or, you know, all the clever things he says, he's just, he, he would, you know, if, if I, if I own McDonald's, I would make him the CEO of McDonald's, you know what I mean, and tell him to write his own paycheck because 
I just think these there's only very few people in it, but everything they touch turns to gold and, and, and probably is one of them. And, and to think that he's in the people's business, isn't it? This is very much dealing with people, relying on people. And there's nothing like people to let you down. Uh, but the way that the club gets us all in the same boat and all rowing the same way is truly remarkable. Yeah, and you, you, it's all you have to do is uh, note the, um, the levels of, of boiling piss all over the place amongst rival fans and you see how how just heartsick and jealous they are that we have this guy um and that they'd only love to have him and so there is they they they're reduced to denigrating him as some kind of a, a touchline you know uh, idiot and you know it, it it's it's a real indicator of of the status that the guy has in the game and you know, just to wrap it up with a couple of those numbers that I can't walk away from Obviously, and well, I didn't know this. He's the first manager to ever take an English team to three European finals in his first three seasons. That in and of itself smells of success. And I know he had this reputation for losing those finals, but nonetheless, you have to get there. Uh, he's the fifth German coach, I think, to win the European Cup after it was, um, Heinkes and Hitzfeld and Udo Latek. And I can't remember who the other guy is. I had that beside me there a second ago. Uh, most consecutive victories, eight. Recording a single calendar month by a Reds boss. Another one of those, like, you know, uh, the current run of away victories is the most ever by a Liverpool manager. That's eight. And obviously it's going to grow if we win the next one. Um, 14 is the number of teams that Liverpool are unbeaten against in the Premier League, uh, under Jurgen. And I think there was another one there. I just want to get to, I think he's given debuts to 37 players in his four years as well. Um, and it, that's just an interesting place maybe for us to to sort of outro from this um, Jurgen chat on because it's objectively, um, unless you're being extra hypercritical like um, like that uh, dope I mentioned earlier on, it's it's easy to see that there has been you know notable success finals achieved with teams that were subpar as he was doing a rebuilding job, um, uh, league points totals uh, achieved last season that you know would win leagues any any year um two champions league finals re- reached and one of them won the objective success has been attained um we are a, a, a massive club again and that's due in no small measure to him but what do you think about the the that one just to finish off on that the idea of the amount of people he's introduced would it be fair to say that that's possibly the greatest indicator or measurement of his success is the successful recruitment? And how much of that do you think is down to him? What do you know about that in terms of uh, Kloppo's involvement there? Well, I, I obviously think that the first port of call is that they'll have some kind of a meeting. Uh, and and, and that, will, that meeting will be about where, where do we need where do we need to strengthen? There's various ways of strengthening, isn't it? Do we need to strengthen the first 11? Are we strengthening our squad? Are we strengthening the future? And then you go, what positions? Uh, so what, what is the most important thing? It's centre-half. And then you go, what type of centre-half? Uh, because all these things are important. I and mean, what type of centre-half do we need? Do we need what we call sort of an old-fashioned, uh, you know, a Jamie Carragher sort of type that, that defends what he's like? Or do we need a modern-day centre-half? A bit like we got in Vertical and Dyke. And then all these things, I don't think Klopp will then be part of necessarily identifying uh, the potential. Although I'm sure Michael Edwards will go, do you have anyone in mind? Uh, but I think Michael Edwards and his team will then go out and they'll find some names and they'll come back to Klopp and they'll say, these are the names we've looked at. Uh, Klopp will obviously be aware of all of them. There'll be some stats to back up the findings. And I think then Klopp takes an interest in the players for the next couple of months uh, before the club eventually uh, makes a decision on, on, on how things uh, should, should should move forward. That, that's how I see it. I just can't see club being able to scout in... I, I listened to an interview about the, the boy who's just gone to Lille, who used to be at Monaco, uh, the, the, the scout campuses. And he said, you know, he said the most important thing is to be able to go to live games. Klopp wouldn't be able to fly here and everywhere to watch these players in, in live games because live game is totally different to what you see on the TV. Um, so, so I think he will obviously have a part, uh, but I think there'll be a break in between the initial pinpoint position and type of players till the eventual uh, buying of, of, of players where Klopp isn't as much 
involved as maybe some people think, simply because he can't do it all. And that's why you appoint people, employ people who you believe are the best. And as much as we talk about club, I would love to sit down with Michael Letters one day and, and maybe get to know him a little bit and to see what his involvement is. Uh, but we have to assume that he plays a big part at the recruitment. The recruitment has been mind-blowing. But I was talking about it today. We did a show for LFC TV uh, and obviously four years for club was, was something we spoke about. And you know the most remarkable thing I find is that there's always room. Five years ago before club was at our club, just think of how many of those players I know there's not that many left, but how many of those players that the fans would have gone, well, he won't be able, he won't survive. Uh, and I'm talking about what we conceive to be average players. Uh, and, and, and let's just take Jordan Henderson. We would go, he's average, he won't survive. Really. Uh, but he did. And when I look back at the Dortmund team that Klopp had and won two Bundesliga titles, whatever, and we can all go Lewandowski and Marco Royce uh, and Mario Goodske and but, but there's loads of Jordan Henderson's in that team as well. Yeah. Where, where Klopp just goes, come here. Do you know what? Do, do, do you want to have a bit of fun in, in, in your career? This is what you have to do. I'll guarantee you. You know, it's almost like if Klopp goes to him, I can make you famous, you know. And he just goes to these kids. He goes, listen, this is what you have to do. Come with me. I'd love you to come with me. You might not be the best footballer in the world, but don't worry. I've got plenty of use for somebody like you. Somebody I can rely on. Somebody who can play the way I... And I find that almost the most remarkable thing. Compare that to Real Madrid or Barcelona, who, when they were at their best, is just a team filled with Galacticos, i.e., you know, everyone in their positions in the top three world and the best players. Whatever. Klopp never starts like that. Uh, but, but he might be able to end like that. And how thankful these players must be. How, you know, Jordan Henderson is a lovely, lovely kid. How often do you think he sits at home with his wife and goes, do you know what, babe? If Jürgen wouldn't have popped past it, what would have happened to me, you know? Because yeah. there was there was just... I think the biggest thing was that whoever was going to take a job after club, if club wouldn't have took it, wouldn't have had enough credit in the bank to go, I'm going to continue with these players. Because fans would have demanded that we need changes. But club saved these players and go, listen, no, no, I'll take the shit. And I'll sort this out. Remarkable. It's a super point. It's a super point. And I love that you linked it back to Dortmund. You're dead right. Like for every, uh, you know, Marco Royce or, or, or Lewandowski, there was a, a Kevin Grosskreutz, you know, and, and that's a fact, you know, they, they, these, these squad players that he embraces and he knows they can do a job for him. And we saw evidence of that at the weekend to kind of segue out of exclusively Clabo chatting into a look back at what was a hugely important win for the Reds against Leicester. And, a lot of those guys were on display and our main man, our old fave, Degsy Lovren, front and centre, it putting in a tremendous display. And I won't lie to you, of course I was looking between uh, my fingers at times, and but he was he was beyond solid. He was tremendous. A very, very, very good display from him. And this in a month where another man who could have easily gone under the radar, a low-key signing, a free signing from... um from the, the, the Bundesliga by, by, um, by Klopp. Joel Matip wins player of the month. I, I, it speaks volumes to the point that you're just making, Jan, that he does have this ability to be what an awful lot of lads claim to be and aren't, but a coach first and foremost. Yeah. And, and, and they are the stories that, that you hear. You have no idea the amount of hours that goes into preparing a youth club team uh, for playing. You know, I think, and I was the same. I, I followed uh, Dortmund to an extent, but only because I worked with the Champions League and they were quite prominent in, in, in the Champions League. But I never really delved into it. I just, I just thought I saw some kind of a hundred mile an hour rock concert, you know. And I really enjoyed it every time I commented on Dortmund. I enjoyed it, uh, but I never thought it was anything other than a load of sort of noise with a couple of really good players, and we get by. Uh, but when it's on your own doorstep and you see them almost live every game they play uh, and you hear stories and you watch them and you go, what makes them tick? What is it? You then realise uh, because a lot of people talk about press. You hear fans going, why can't we press? Why? Because it's not easy to press. It's the most difficult thing to do. It's, we can all press and get exposed and get beat 5 nil. But in fairness, it's what we did at, at Wembley when we lost 4-1 to Spurs, isn't it? But we've, we've often discussed that game, haven't we? So if something happened, club went there's things we can't afford to do anymore. So press or 
high lines or whatever, it's not as easy. You have to be a very, very cute manager. And I just don't believe that the likes of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or Marco Silva or whatever, they just can't do it. You know, the easiest thing to do when you talk about organising a football team is organise the football team without the ball. That's the easiest thing in the world. Or organise the football team in your own half. Well, Klopp doesn't, does he? He organises our team, half the team in the offices and half and half the team in, in, in our own uh, half, but always on the move. Never just getting behind the ball and waiting, always on the move. It's very, very difficult. Now, he's a super, super coach and probably the one thing he isn't giving enough credit for because people always assume, and we always talk about the brains behind Klopp. Yeah, yeah, but I think that's Klopp being nice to, to, to some of his very good friends. Yeah, and and never highlighted more than in the um, the departure of, of, of Mr. Buvac and the wheels were going to come off, weren't they? It was all over. The brain was gone and um, we've gone on to further success. And perhaps, thanks in no small part to uh, cleverly getting back uh, Mr. Pep Blinders, who, you know, long term, if we're talking about successors, you know what I think about that. I'd love a, a new boot room to start again. But enough of that for now. And let's talk about the... Really tremendous win at the weekend. It was um, heartening on so many levels. Uh, the nature of it as well, the, the the late nature of it, I suppose, gives it that extra little psych- uh, heft as well for a team who, you know, have been to the pin of their collar to achieve these uh, results that they've been that been achieving. Um, but to have this perfect start to the league, to look at that league table now and. Um, like I said to you last week, people say it's only six. Oh, well, sorry, it's the week before people say it's only six games. But I say, yeah, it's only six games and we've got this much of a lead. Now I say it again. It's only eight games. Yeah, I get it. It's only eight games. The league is far from over. The league has only begun. But it's also only eight games and eight points have been racked up. And it's a real tribute. Now, I don't think necessarily to a comment so much on how bad everybody else is, but on, on the incredible concentration levels that Jurgen has in this squad and the ability to get things over the line. And it's never been clearer this season, Jan, than in that last minute, um, uh, penalty enhanced win against Leicester. What was your feeling on the game overall? Because sometimes, you know, you get a result like that and you think, we've gotten out of jail there, but we didn't get out of jail. We absolutely dominated that game in every measurable statistic and every measurable way. And Leicester nearly got lucky, would be my take. Yeah. I mean, when, when you talk about, you know, it's only six games and then it goes to eight games, we should remember that when that happens, it's four games. And because it's two more games, we won. And it's two games less for City to, to pull back the, the, the eight-point deficit. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of Leicester, I mean... And I think that's only natural uh, in, 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 in the footballing world. Uh, and, and when I commentate for Danish TV, obviously people know I play for Liverpool. But, but my, I have to be, you know, impartial, as, 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 I, as neutral as I possibly can be. And even I was, like, drawn in a little bit. Because when, when a team like Leicester gets as close to Liverpool as they do, you sort of talk of Leicester. And you sort of talk down Liverpool a little bit, uh, and 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 then when you watch the game again, whether that's highlights on match of the day or you look at stats or whatever, uh, in reality, they they were nowhere near it. Uh, we we weren't necessarily at our at our flu and best, but we were certainly much much better than than, than Leicester. And I have to be honest, that I felt there was there was something coming. You know, when it, when the clock went past ninety. I thought there's still something in it. I couldn't imagine it was going to be as dramatic as, as, as it was. So, but but this will happen to us, you know, when we draw a game or even when we played Sheffield United the other week, isn't it? You know, there was overreaction to how good they were and how unlucky they were and whatever. But I think that's only natural uh, because we're trying to hang on. I think people are trying to hang on to something and what people obviously want is a competitive uh, Premier League with, with a point be- between the top four, whatever you can get in. So we try and hang on to and talk Liverpool down a little bit and go, do you know what I think? I think there's a there's a draw or a defeat round the corner, so we can get a bit of excitement back in. That might very well be the case. My point with it all is that I don't think Manchester City's finished dropping points, and, and and that's why I think come the end of the season, I just can't see them being anywhere near us. I, I just think they're going to continue to drop points uh, because of the, the problems that they've got and and our relentlessness and our intensity and everything that we do. I just think we've, we've, we've overpowered them. We've, we've, we've almost seen them off by 
we've demanded things of them that they couldn't do. Uh, they can play some of the most eye-cats in football, uh, but they have to play well to win games. We don't have to be at our best because or we still have the intensity. We still have we still have the power when we don't play well. And we will come back because I want to look at City, United, uh, maybe even Everton, uh, maybe even Spurs. But I want to look at those two clubs in particular because um, why the hell not? Because we've got a bit of time in this show later on and we will talk about uh, City and we will talk about how maybe, you know, the last two results that have gone our way and against them were because teams actually remember to turn up and play against them. Um, and you would like to think that other teams would have that level of professionalism between now and the end of the season, as you say, and maybe they will continue to drop points. But I mean, there's so many different ways we could go at this particular Leicester result um, and the significance of it. Yeah. A couple of figures in particular warrant mention. I mean, Sadio Mane, who I was wincing as I was reading a few minutes ago, a little report there saying that he got a knock against Danny Alves in a, in a friendly against Brazil. Hopefully that's nothing much. But again, this is the kind of thing that puts the heart crossways in you as a Reds fan when the international break happens. But what a landmark day for that kid and sort of made me sort of, in the way that we were looking at numbers there, it made me sort of assess uh, a little bit my uh, enjoyment of the, the period under Klopp and I can't really see beyond Sadio Mane for the guy who's uh, been my favourite player of that era for so many reasons but there's one reason that I, I always say to you and I think, I think you can relate to it as well it's 100 goals and it's 50 games sorry it's 100 games and it's 50 goals that's a bananas record in and of itself but he gets all sorts of incredible goals and lately he's been getting a lot of game openers the first goal in the game we know what that means psychologically to this team but more than anything else the thing i love about Sadio Mane is even when he's having a stinker he never hides he's always there and we see what how incredibly important he is in terms of the energy levels we saw him tracking back against Leicester on a couple of occasions against Chilwell in particular and just snuffing out attacks and that's a dangerous raiding full back and we were told to be really wary of him and Pereira on the other wing there's Sadio doing that job completely sort of not what you would expect and then he's also popping up at the business end and doing 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 what he needs to do there he's a remarkable footballer Jan yeah yes absolutely uh again coming back to to football fans who, who don't follow Liverpool and if you say Liverpool to them they a lot automatically go uh Mo Salah because in the world that's People, people assume that that he's Liverpool's, and he probably is Liverpool's biggest star uh, worldwide in terms of appeal. Uh, and, and and sometimes, who's your best player, who your most important player is, uh, is, is is only for the people who watch them every game. And here you can take your pick, you know, whether that's Van Dijk or Sadio Mane or, or, or Firmino. But Sadio Mane is. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just think that there'll be one of those big clubs that can afford. The price of the best footballers in the world, who one day will knock on our door and go, yeah, we like Sadio, we like Mo Salah, but but what about Sadio Mane? He's the one we want. You know, he's the one who can transform our team. I'm not suggesting he's about to go either, but he's a very, very good footballer. Uh, That goal he scored. uh, One thing is the pass in there. What a beautiful pass by 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 James Milner. But as he's taking that from the left towards goal and Casper Michael in goal is a very fine goalkeeper I know that Casper would have thought I've got this I'm going to narrow the angle and force him to go far post and I'm just going to get down and and, and, and as Sadio is bearing down on goal you just know as a Liverpool fan he's going to bury this and that's against one of the better goalkeepers in the world who thought he had this I'm all over this I'm going to leave him a little bit of room to hit it bang in the back of the net it is remarkable uh, because that's not necessarily an easy chance you know, to run at pace with the ball, it's much easier to run at pace without the ball than with the ball uh, and still have all that composure. Yeah, Sadio Mane has been an incredible story. We've often discussed when we signed him, I thought, yeah, okay, he's okay. Uh, and, and he probably was okay for us at the time. Uh, but he's, he's just got better and better and better and he's still getting better. And I, and I like that. And that is remarkable because a lot of footballers, most footballers, stop developing at 21, 22. Uh, it's it's only very very few who continues to develop right the way through the career, but he's definitely one of those. 
Yeah, we've we've uh, we've a clutch of those guys in their in their mid to late twenties who seem to be getting better year on year, which is a remarkable thing. And again, maybe tribute to the manager. But I'm glad you mentioned that thing about Casper Schmidt because I do rate that kid very highly in terms of what he can do between the posts and um, you know, Sadio ironically probably a little bit more time and could have finished again completely two minutes after that. But let's talk about one other Sadio Mane related incident, which is of course the thing that caused all the controversy, which is the penalty that ended up um being taken by James Milner um, with the usual cool aplomb that we associate with him uh, nearly, nearly at Malby levels with these, with these penalties is, is, careful, uh, careful, <laughs> is, uh, is El Jimmy. But to be fair, to be fair, uh, the main talking point, of course, was the incident around the penalty itself. Now, I'm sure you, you're probably sick talking about it, but I just would like to get your definitive take. And let me offer my uh, amateurish tuppence worth, first of all, because I've seen people who have played the game at the highest level um, talking what uh, what uh, the uh, some some of your English chums would call utter bobbins about this. I've seen Gary Lineker, and I think it might have been just a little bit skewed by his loyalties, talking nonsense. I've seen Alan Shearer and Danny Murphy, like the Mitchell brothers, there on on match of the day, uh, grumpily talking about how it's not a penalty. And later on, even more absurdly and outrageously, I thought talking about how um, Klopp's annoyance at Hamza Chowdhury's tackle was a type of deflection uh, for the incident with Trent, which wasn't uh, given by VAR. So I don't know what even what they're talking about. It's utter nonsense. They're getting paid to talk this nonsense. And then, of course, the master of all nonsense, Andy Gray, um, very upset about this penalty decision. Now, my take on it, Jan, is this. There's enough contact for the player himself to go, oh, shit, I've made a rick, put his hands on his head and basically own up. Uh, Sadio takes a step because he's got enough balance and low center of gravity and then realizes he's made a rick in staying up and goes down. I don't think there's any doubt, but there's enough contact for the penalty in the first place. So whether or not Sadio takes that step is almost irrelevant to me. Have I got that wrong or what do you think about it? Well, I think if 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 it's in training at Melwood, Sadio doesn't go to the ground because the contact isn't enough for him to go to ground, but it's a foul. And I have a feeling that hadn't he gone to ground, we wouldn't have got that penalty. So hadn't Sadio Mane gone to ground, Leicester would have got, got away with one. Yeah. So so it, it is a bit like, but it's a foul, isn't it? And it's a foul. So whether whether he exaggerates the fall or not becomes irrelevant. But he's done that to make the re- to make the referee make a decision, and whether that's to give a penalty or whether for VAR to have a look at it. And I just think that had he stayed on his feet and and rolled that ball outside the box for someone to have a shot, we wouldn't have got that penalty. And it was a foul. It's it's a bit like thirty years ago. But but what's that got to do with it? Because we're not playing thirty years ago. You know, so many things have changed, isn't it? And today, a foul is a foul. You know, and that was a foul. Uh, so yeah, some of these people, Andy Gray, I haven't seen all of that, but obviously I saw uh, Alan Sierra uh, say what he what, what he did. And but the bottom line is, it, it's a foul. There's no such thing as a soft foul, a soft penalty. It's either a penalty or not a foul or not. And that was a foul, which then we, we we got a penalty which we deserved. And then just coming back, and we mentioned this the other week, and you know. It's it's okay for James Midland because he's very cool, isn't it? But the time that these penalty takers have to wait these days, Trev, you know, it could be a minute, a minute and a half while they're just standing there. And, and you're standing with the ball in your hands, not even sure if you're going to take a penalty. It must be a really bizarre situation for the penalty takers to be in. Yeah, it's, it's it, you know, there's a lot of complications and little twists around the game. And I think you've been really admirably sort of um, philosophical and sanguine about it all. Like, you know, it is what it is. It's come in and we've, we're going to have to learn to roll the punches. And I think that kind I of... Think, ca- I think, Trent, if, if you don't, it, it will drive you fucking mad. That's, you know? that, you, that's exactly it. it that's exactly you. it. It will drive you insane. Because, you, you know, and I found myself going down that path with Sandy, talking about getting going off on my high horse about subjectivity and objectivity and what's clear and obvious. 
and you realize that you're actually playing a different game to them because you're trying to impose logic on something that's not being really dealt with logically at the moment. So you're on you're the loser, you know? <laughs> yeah, I agree. It, so it, it's, bit, it's a bit like when I said to you, I was in Dortmund the other week when they played Barcelona. And and, and I just think German football fans who, who, who's had VAR and plays a little bit longer than everybody else, it just comes to the, it is what it is. We're not sure it's here to, to, to help our sport, although it will do in certain situations, but Generally, there's nothing we can do about it. It's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like kicking off at half four on a Sunday afternoon. It is what it is, isn't it? And VAR falls into that category. And I am convinced that at some stage in the very near future, we will all not be able to remember football before VAR. I'm not talking about me and you, Trevor, but I'm talking about football fans generally, because the next generation will go, what, what's the problem? I couldn't imagine watching a game of football without VAR being present, you know? So, you know, we just have to we have to live with it yeah exactly and it'll become part and parcel of the drama and you won't immediately celebrate goals and all that kind of thing and it is it just it it, it impacts the game and again like i said for for uh for an old footy duddy like myself you get a little bit kind of ang- angsty about it but look let's see how it goes and i'm just aware i'm keeping an eye on the clock and i've got some questions from uh, Twitter that came in um, uh, for you uh, that I want to get to and I do want to get back to having a little bit of a look at City and United at least so let's get to those questions first so that we can um, we can then see what time we have left for the other boys because obviously the anyone who's who's made the effort to send in something I want to get to and the first one's from Liz who's um, always uh, listening with, with intent uh, is Liz and she wants to know how would you feel that you'd have dealt with all the extra media pressures and all the obligations that the players have today? Um, and she says, I mean, the annoying stuff as well as like the fun stuff, like you see on the, on the website, the cop kid stuff or Andy Robbo and Jimmy Miller talking about biscuits. And that's tremendous crack. I mean, it's just great fun. I think the club's really on top of that. And I can see you knocking a bit of fun out of that stuff. But it's a different era. I know you, and you've often said this. It was, it was a different, like you guys were totally out of the loop in terms of that. You might get an occasional interview with a paper or something like that. And maybe if you're lucky, get a few quid for it. How do you think you'd have managed with all this total media, uh, absorption at the moment? Yeah. It's, 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 it's very interesting. And it's a good question. Uh, when, when, when I was at Ajax, we started off at Ajax. Uh, the first thing, we, we we did in between some of the training sessions, uh, some of the younger players uh, would go into the back room and do some schoolwork. And I would join them to have some Dutch lessons. And then on our days off, we would, we could be out. We would, if we played weekend, weekend, we would have Wednesday off. And on that Wednesday, we could be out uh, coaching uh, at schools or football clubs and talk and doing all this, uh, what they do today. So it's not as if I haven't done it. Uh, but then when you, when, when, when I joined Liverpool, it was, it was a bit more, no, we, we got to find a balance between being professional footballers and having a private life. And they were quite happy for us to, you know, what you running around, piss off now, go, go and, go and enjoy your, your life with your family and whatever it is. So I don't know, Trev, uh, but we, we, we had other things that we wanted to do. I'm going down to snooker clubs at a game of snooker. Today, footballers are footballers 24 hours a day. So I think they accept that all this is part of it. Uh, I, I think sometimes they think, you know, especially when you're having your own in-house TV channel on, I think sometimes they think, fuck, you know. Uh, but it, it, it is good. And I don't care what anyone says. When, when you get a little bit, when you get a little bit of, of, of some of the players and I, I listen to even, Liverpool fans of my age, they go, oh, did you see that? Fantastic, you know, and, and, and they love to get to know the personality of the, of, of, of the players. You know, in our day, this is a, I've said it before, I think they could just go down to a pub and have a pint with Ian Russell and me and get to know us. They can't today. So they, they are relying on the players, giving something of themselves. Uh, and I think generally, as a, I'm not talking about Liverpool football club, but I'm talking about as a group of players, I, I do think that they're pretty good and, and they give some of themselves and they're quite humorous. And some of the stuff that appears on the website and LFC TV, I think it's, it's actually very, very good TV. But as a kid, Jan, I remember you'd be desperate to know anything, anything. Uh, like, I mean, the fans these days, like to use a, 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 an old person term, they don't know they're born. I mean, they literally have 
all the information that they could possibly want about people. But more to the point, as you say, they feel like they know these people. They feel like they know these kids who pull on the red jersey. Um, whereas I'd have just been desperate to know, like, what's his nickname? I remember discovering that Steve Nichols' nickname was Plank. And I was happy with that for about a month. That just kept me going for a month. I, I remember reading Mo Johnston's autobiography. And it was like a revelation, those stories about him, you know, uh, you know, like um, not quite groupies, but young ones meeting him in pubs afterwards. And I was like, this is remarkable stuff. You never get because it was, football was so buttoned down. And lads, even if even say if you were grabbed by the ITV cameras uh, after a match, what you were expected to say and can tell me if I'm wrong, but what you were expected to say was, yeah, I'm over the moon. I've just hit it and it's gone in and every other cliche under the sun. And we just take one game at a time and now if you go. And they didn't want to hear anything else from you because do you remember, Jan, the Lira? Yeah. In the late, the late 90s, early 2000s, where there was lots of, like, especially for Arsenal and, and, and Chelsea, foreign players coming in and saying, I think I've played well there. And you could hear the intake of breath in the studio, in, in, in the Sky Studios going, Jesus, he's got notions about himself. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It was <laughs> a, sl- a slow change. No, I, 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 I agree. Uh, but obviously with, with, you know, it's, 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 it's becoming a 24 hour, 365 days a, uh, week, uh, or days game now, isn't it? So everything has changed, isn't it? And, and you're absolutely right. Uh, but there wasn't, there was just wasn't the same interest, was it? You know, I, I, sometimes you, you, you'd play at Anfield and you'd walk down the corridor and the press would be there and you, you, you'd have a good game or, you know, you'd been told in dressing room or you had pop into the Carlsberg Lounge, you got man of the match and you'd almost like, Looking at the press and going, just, just no one want to speak to you. You know, whereas today, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, whereas today, if a player walks down and want to speak to the media, there'll be a hundred media outlets all over because some media outlets can't believe if they get access to a player. Whereas in our day, it was just totally different. They'd go, "No, you're all right. We 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 don't need anything." But it was it was it was remarkable. Yeah. Uh, but I do I do admire the, I do admire the players. But I also think that younger players, I, I would assume that down at at the academy in, in Kirby, they would do some kind of media training, uh, and take away all the cliches. Which, which I, for that fact, I think it's a much better, it's much better to listen to the interviews now. They took away all the cliches. Yeah, yeah. As you as you say, you just feel like you're getting to know these kids a bit better. And I mean, the next question up is from uh, Omlang Vithlani, and he asks, uh, "Could you ask Jan who was the most tactically astute manager he ever worked under?" There's a nice, interesting one. Yeah, it is. A, it is an interesting one. Um, you, you always, you always, you don't want to be disrespectful. In that, Joe Fagan did what he did, and he would give the team. And more often than not, the team would be the same as last week. It was sort of very basic, and and, and people said so. We, we we never used to individually prepare for the next game, and the reason we didn't do that is because we have the best team, and you go and do whatever you normally do and you you tend to get away with it. So would I be able to say that 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 Joe Fagan tactically no, but of course Joe buys the players and puts the players into the team so it all works. So that in itself is is is, is some tactical uh, work. Then Kenny came. Kenny was a great student of the game and uh, in the eighties he was very interested in in two of the most flexible teams playing football at the time. One was Denmark's international team. Kenny was a great, he loved coming to watch Denmark. And of course, the AC Milan team in the late 80s, he also loved their flexibility. Uh, and Kenny would change every now and again. Uh, and then the last two managers I had, Graham Sooners. I don't think Sooners ever got to, to the stage where he was happy with the team, where he, he thought he could be able to, to do more than just one thing. Uh, and Roy, Never really. So I would say Kenny, uh, although tactical, it was like almost like a crime to change things in it because you remember the saying, Trev, why, why change a winning team? Why change a winning way? Uh, so, so people in those days were very, very reluctant to change anything. And would one of, would it be fair to say perhaps that one of your international managers or maybe when you're at Ajax, so the, whoever you had there was, were probably maybe in terms of just, Tech, tactical and technical knowledge of the game, maybe more uh, traditionally astute or more of a student of the game with, with yeah. anyone in, in that category? I don't know whether they were any more uh, astute, but you certainly spent a lot more time. Uh, and 
Sepp Piontek, the, the, the German coach we had for Denmark, spent an awful lot of time uh, with tactics and would make tactical changes from game to game. And he'll go, it's best if we play him today and we'll have a meet and we'll do coaching about him, whatever. Uh, so he spent a lot more time whether, whether he, whether he was any better than, than the likes of Kenny. It's impossible to judge because Kenny did very little of that. But of course, I'm, I'm convinced that on a Friday night, especially when we played away games and they used to sit in a room and have a glass of whiskey and talk tactics, you know, that's exactly what they did. Uh, and then, and they would probably in, in those meetings discuss, what happens if? Uh, but luckily, there was very few ifs. Uh, it, it almost all went to plan. So maybe they didn't have to delve into plan B as often as, as maybe some of the other managers. Yeah, I love that. The, the lovely simplicity of just being the best team. So if you play your game, you're going to be okay on the mass majority of, of occasions. I, uh, yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. And our second last, our second last, our last question really uh, is from John, um, who's a fellow Irishman. Good crack is John. Is that and good? Is that good? Is it? It is good because okay. John John says, uh, "Who needled Jan most on the pitch?" And in a beautifully uh, uh, local language, he says, "Who did he want to banjo the most?" So this yeah. could be a story here. <laughs> there was, I mean, uh, to be fair. There was a, we, we, we discussed this, uh, Lloyd McGrath, Coventry before. Yes, yeah. Who, who I often thought, but you couldn't, you know, if you're going to do anything with Lloyd McGrath, you're going to kiss him because he was just a lovely kid, you know, you go, come here, I'll give you a cuddle. You could never banjo him, you know what I mean? Because he yeah, just did, yeah. he just did his job, you know what I mean? Uh, Carlton Palmer probably. Uh, Carlton Palmer, I mean, I quite liked his, uh, quite liked his sort of personality. Uh, when uh, he came to Anfield in 1985 with the West Brom first team squad, but he came as a as an apprentice who would go on an away trip to the first team. And 10 minutes before kickoff, the West Brom coach told him to go and knock on the Liverpool door to get the autographs. Can you imagine that? 10 minutes before kickoff, Carl's <laughs> gone and knocked on our door, hasn't he? And Ronnie Moran's opened the door and Ronnie's gone, what can I do for you, son? He said, I've just come for a few autographs. And you can see Ronnie thinking, okay now. But typical <laughs> Liverpool, they've gone, come on in, son, come on in. Do you want a few pictures? Come on in, sit down next to Kenny, have a little chat with the lads, you know what I mean? It's like eight minutes before kickoff. <laughs> but, you know. but Carlton was a, Carlton was an annoying footballer because he fucking talked non-stop, you know, uh, and he was, he was a clumsy footballer, you know, so he'd always, so it would be in good humour I'd want to banjo him because he'd stand on your fucking toes or he'd run into you and give you a dead leg. <laughs> and yeah. you just want to go, can you stop that? And very well know that he can't. So you think, I've just had to fucking deck him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So we we played Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, I think it was the opening game, 90, 93, 94, 95, whatever. And this is obviously in the days where You'd have to commit GBH to, to, to get a yellow card, never mind a red. Yeah. After 12, 12 minutes, Calvin Palmer gets sent off. Uh, he's, 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 he's high tackle on me. And the fact that he got sent off because he was above the knee, you know, anything below the knee, yeah, not a problem, but above the knee. So he, he really, I mean, I've still got the sort of, uh, the bruises in, in, in my thigh. It was a hell of a fucking challenge. And I've, I'm on the deck killing me. And the referees come over. It's me, Carlton, and the referee. And the referee goes, what the fuck was that, Carlton? You know. <laughs> and, and Carlton's gone, I don't fucking know. <laughs> and I'm on the floor and I'm going, you fucking dickhead. And then the, and then the referee goes, I'll have to send you off. <laughs> and Carlton goes, yeah, I know, yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> the, ref, the referee didn't want him to go off. Carl didn't want him to go off. And I didn't want him to go off either. He was like, for fuck's sake. You know, but the ref said, you give me no choice. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's just like football is just happening to him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we, 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 we'll finish with Owen, who just has a statement for you. He says, I've got nothing to ask Jan, but just tell him my mum fancied him loads. <laughs> <laughs> so you can turn the volume down if Mandy's in the background there. <laughs> See, this is this is the problem now, Sean. I'd say you know you go to Anfield and you you have pictures with fans, uh, and I always say to them, 
you're too young to remember me. You go, yeah, yeah, but you're my mum's favourite footballer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you know if you know if you go, you're my dad's favourite footballer. You can kind of go with it, but you but you know when it's it's sort of female, you know it's. They, they probably thought you were okay, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, and I'm thinking, Christ, mate. <laughs> That's what it's come to, Chad. But at Com- least there's still a few of them out there. Go in. Hey. That's it, mate. A compliment's a compliment because I, I, I tweeted Alan back and said, oh, yeah, he loved that. And oh, his response I- to me was, so would she. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh, so, I, I wanted to sign off with a little word about our poor, long-suffering Mancunian buddies. Oh, uh, no. It's sad. It's a sad state of affairs. I don't want to get too cocky about City because I do tend to agree with you. And I think it's not that wheels have come off, but I think they've shown a vulnerability that yeah. hopefully somebody else might be able to capitalize on. And hopefully yeah. we will and just keep that, that, that and gap. And to be there. fair, Trent, City are not that team, are they? You know, no. we, have, we have to show them some respect. In Whereas Manchester United, they are a fucking bad team. Oh, the, the, the fun that we can have at their expense in next week's show. And I do want to talk about... I was, I was there to last Sunday. Where were you? And, and t- t- tell, me something, tell me something from, a, from a, a, your perspective. that Because it must have been interesting to watch the wheels coming off there. I could hear noises, Jan, coming from that ground and grumblings from the fans that, you know... Eh, I know that uh, Solskjaer seems to be a bit of a protected species. What's your opinion on that? It's, yeah, it's, he, he, he actually is, isn't he? It's, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's of, 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 of our own legends, who would we protect to the extent that they're protecting him? It, yeah. it, it, it is quite remarkable, isn't it? The, the, the thing about it is that, first and foremost, before the game, when we're doing our live stand-up, I wanted to say Newcastle win this game because... I just don't see any quality in this Manchester United. But, but but then you look at the Newcastle thing, you think, fucking hell, they can't win a game either. You know what I mean? Because they're not very good either. Uh, but the thing about it is that, so in the press room, everybody's there because everybody loves a story like this, what's happened to Manchester United. But even the most staunch and the people who work for MUTV and whatever, it's like, what's going to happen? And people go, what, what will happen? Yeah, I mean, what are we, are we going to sack him? Who are we going to... They, 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 they don't know how to get now from where they are to take that next step. They, they are just, and they're almost resigned to, we might as well stick with this fella, you know, it's like, how do we move on? No, you go, I just, I just can't see how we're going to improve this. How, you know, yes, in January, we can, we can chuck another 150 million out of it, but I think people have lost the belief in, in, in anyone being able to improve it. So, so it's like, they are so, down hard, you, you, you just can't, you know, like sometimes a lot of football clubs, they're bouncing out there and people are going, yeah, come on up. Oh, we'll get rid of this fella and we'll move on. You know what I mean? But it's like a Manchester United going, this is, this is like, we're watching a horror film. You know, yeah, I thought, yeah. how is this ever going to improve? Well, I, I, it can't, it can't continue for long enough for me. And I don't, I, I don't care how petty it sounds because they reveled in our misfortune. Uh, openly in a way that I would never have done uh, in the past. Um, and I, I, I enjoy this so much, Jan. I look forward to talking a little bit more about some of the specific aspects of it ahead of the game because we'll obviously be previewing that big game in the next show that we do. So let's leave that chat for then because there's lots we can pick apart, apart about that particular side. And we should wrap up this uh, episode of Mobby on Spot. We've gone a minute or two too long. So let's finish at, at that. And let me, on behalf of um, all the, the subscribers, uh, thank you again for another show full of insight and full of witticism, full of good stories. So thanks a lot, Ian. Wonderful, Trev. And I hope everybody enjoys um, the uh, international break we have. Hopefully with a few good games before we return with the real football. We may even talk about some of that unreal football next week as well to balance out the Manchester United chat. But until then, I've been Trev Denny. Until we speak to you again, look out for your fellow Reds and stay safe out there. So there we have it, folks. Wasn't uh, Jan in great form there? He always is. It's a, a really cracking listen. And I always say to Trev how impressed I am that he manages to cram so much into an hour. I know as someone that hosts podcasts myself, it, it's not so easy to, to get your full agenda in every week. And Trev seems to cram so much into the hour. And it's not like it's crammed in and rushed. They they discuss things at length and you get some great analysis from Jan Moby. He really is one of the best in the business. And uh, we're very lucky to have that show uh, over on Air Press. A reminder, if you wish to take the free trial of, uh, of Anfield Index, 
Pro, you just head to anfieldindex.com forward slash join. Seven days completely free. Uh, listen to as many shows as you like. The full back catalog's all there for you. And uh, if you decide to cancel, then there's obviously no obligation to continue. You can just cancel and forget about that ever happened. But uh, we're sure once you uh, once you take that test drive, you'll be looking to go uh, a bit further down the road with us. Uh, most people do. And, uh, and, and we're very grateful to all the subscribers that uh, make AI Pro what it is. Feedback. We love feedback. It's part of our community. It's a big thing at Anfield Index Pro. The best way to give us feedback is on our Discord community. It's one of the only Liverpool Discord communities out there for fans. And the debate is far more uh, extensive than you'll see on other social media platforms like uh, Twitter and Facebook. So to join our Discord community completely free of charge, it's anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord, which is D-I-S-C-O-R-D. Uh, completely free to join. Head over and, uh, and get involved. Of course, we're on the other platforms as well. You can search for Anfield Index on our Facebook and, of course, on Twitter as well. We have two accounts. Uh, there's at Anfield Index, which is our regular account for all our, uh, our, our mainstream free content. And then there's a professional side, which is uh, all, the, all the shows that we have on AI Pro is at Anfield Index Pro. So feel free to follow them and give feedback on these shows. We'd love to hear from you. That's it. That's another episode of Off the Wall. We are gearing up now uh, for the Manchester United game at Old Trafford. Hoping Liverpool can make it nine from nine. Uh, it's always a tough game at Old Trafford, so who knows what the future holds. But uh, with Man United in relegation form and Liverpool in uh, groundbreaking, record-breaking form, let's hope that uh, we can get another three points at Old Trafford and uh, and continue this great vibe that we've uh, seen in, in recent weeks. So until next time, up the Reds. Podcast Network.